This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day. This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures, with another edition of our Digital Leadership Podcast Series. Today, I'm greatly pleased to have clean tech practitioner and entrepreneur Leif Elgathan, who is the CEO and founder of Retrolux, a software platform built to scale smart lighting solutions in commercial and industrial buildings. Leif has successfully started five companies in the clean tech industry, including three lighting companies with one exit. He's active in both his professional and local community, sitting on numerous boards, um, and in his free time enjoys spending time with family and enjoying outdoor recreation like skiing and mountain biking. Today, I've asked Leif to really focus on really kind of two themes. Number one is clean tech meets smart spaces. As you know, Momenta Partners and Ventures invest specific companies in smart spaces, so think cities, buildings, farms, as an example. And the other, to pull a, a phrase that he uh, he uh, had as part of uh, winning the uh, Schneider Electric 40 Challenge recently, to talk about uh, Retrolux and the operating system to scale clean energy. Leif, welcome to uh, the Momenta Partners Digital Leadership Podcast. Pleasure to be here, Ken. Looking forward to sharing more on our what we're seeing in the market and also learning a little bit from you on how Momenta is uh, seeing the uh, market adapt to a lot of really cool things happening. Perfect. Sounds like it should be a great conversation. So let's start a little bit with your professional journey and tell me a bit about that and how it has informed your views of what I'll call digital industry, but think about, you know, specifically clean tech meets, you know, digital and smart spaces. Yeah. So I started my career in the clean tech industry about 12 years ago. And my first company was a consulting company and we helped uh, commercial building owners, industrial building owners, agricultural entities, uh, understand how they could reduce their energy consumption, um, either through energy efficiency technologies or by putting renewable energy resources on site to help them, um, again, reduce their energy consumption and their energy costs. And when we did that work, it was all very um, hard to do because we were using pencil and paper, we're using Excel spreadsheets, uh, to do calculations uh, if they were not pencil and paper, and um, started running into a lot of challenges trying to understand how we could scale our business and meet the need in the market. And uh, so that caused me to start my second company. And instead of scaling through digital, we decided to scale our company by going more vertically integrated. And so we started to uh, really be a turnkey energy services provider in my second company helping our customers now not just understand how they can reduce their energy consumption, um, but would actually go ahead and do that for them by implementing a project. Um, and then, as I tell people, dragging the customer all the way through from initial idea to a completed project, because there's a lot of steps along the way. And um, as that business got more complicated, I started looking for digital solutions to streamline our operations, streamline our sales process, 
and ultimately look for ways that we could be more effective in delivering that value prop to these customers that were very hungry uh, to do a better job of maintaining their energy consumption and, and controlling it. Um, along the way, you know, we continue to find more and more opportunities to leverage technology in our own business. And um, I, as I say, with Retrolux, we kind of stumbled on an accidental business idea in that we needed a tool for our, co for our company uh, it didn't exist, and so we went, decided that we could build it, and we did. Uh, we went out to several of the folks in our supply chain and said, hey, look at this cool tool we built. You can go out with an iPhone, um, collect data in the field, um, and then sync that to the cloud, and then do the rest of your job from the cloud in your office. And uh, back in 2012, when we had this idea, we got a lot of empty stairs. Uh, from people that we talked to because they were still using flip phones and the idea of um, doing their job digitally just was not something that people were even, um, I think, um, accustomed to even believing could happen. And so, you know, really, we've been watching the market and really been paying attention to the market and following um, the adoption of digital tools uh, and then looking for ways that we can you know, drive a lot of the same value that other parts of maybe the industry or maybe their economy have had, but doing it specifically for the built environment, the smart spaces um, industry, as you say, um, and particularly for our company anyways, focusing in on what we call clean energy or smart energy now. And uh, ultimately, you know, that I think is the best way to, you know, find where those gaps are in an industry is um, when you're directly experiencing them. And that's exactly how we um, learned that there were digital tools that we could apply and started applying them to our business and then realized there was a whole lot of other businesses out there that had the same kind of challenges. And that ultimately led us to Retrolux and standing up a company to deliver that digital journey uh, for, for our customers and for our industry. Very good. I like your use of the term clean energy or smart energy. As we know, clean tech has uh, been quite a phenomena. Uh, I think even back in uh, 2013, Gartner was already beginning to predict that clean tech, as they were calling it, you know, was hitting that trough of disillusionment. Um, let me ask, you know, one, what does the term mean to you? Obviously, you've coined new terms, so maybe that 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 is in that direction too. Since hitting, quote, unquote, the trough of disillusionment, what have you seen, um, you know, the clean tech industry uh, in terms of, you know, trends and, and performance? Yeah. So the trough of disillusionment that happened after clean tech V1.0, and I lived it, so I'm very familiar with it, really referred to a drop off in investment in hard technologies. And so there was a lot of technology companies that came out of clean tech 1.0 that were you know, different ways of producing a solar panel or different technologies for producing wind. Um, it was very focused on the hardware side of things. And as those industries matured, clear winners emerged and all the other companies crashed. And I think one of the challenges that we saw in the clean tech industry was a lot of money being spent on these like hard science problems um, and just by the nature of working on hardware and hard science problems, you're going to have a lot of losers. And I think the second challenge that the industry faced was thinking of clean tech as being only about saving the environment. And so we got this, I think, perception in the industry that we should build clean tech that is just clean tech and not really thinking about the bigger, broader value prop. 
And so one of the things I like to say is that if we develop and design solutions that are smart energy, we focus on how do we manage our energy more appropriately? How do we get more value out of that unit of energy? By definition, we're being smart about it. And a byproduct of that process of thinking is almost always that we're going to use less energy or we're going to use it more appropriately. And so I like to say that clean tech is transitioning very quickly from clean tech 1.0, where we were focusing on developing technologies just because of their environmental benefit, to clean tech v2.0, which is really more of a smart tech or a, a um, smart energy play. And it's more focused on how do we do more with less? How do we drive more value out of what we're doing? And as I say, there's a byproduct that happens to be that we use less energy or that we use renewable energy in the place of more traditional energy resources. But the value we're getting out of it is so much more. And so the people and the companies that are starting today are really focusing on a bigger value prop, a more important value prop. And along the way, we're going to end up with a lot cleaner um, energy system, a lot cleaner overall technology stack. Yeah, I, li I like the way you described the version one to, to V2O uh, and this idea of smart tech. We've seen clean tech kind of intersect uh, IoT, if you want to use that as a general industry term. <clears throat> and we, and especially from the investment side, you see a lot of these crossing over, some on the generation side, some on the, you know, quote unquote distribution, if there is any distribution and, and a lot of it at the edge, right? Both usage, uh, storage, uh, optimization. Uh, one of our investments is a company called uh, Jelly, G-E-L-I out of the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. And, uh, and that's one of the areas that they tend to look at relative to, um, uh, I call it a, a router for jewels in some sense, right? Do I do I store it in my Tesla parked in the parking garage, a jewel, if you will, um, or do I, you know, sell it back to the grid, or do I use it, right, uh, for each each and every jewel that's coming through? So the uh, it is very much about the you know smart, if you will, energy and smart tech. What inspired you to to really focus on the smart uh, buildings or uh, smart spaces area? You know, so that's an interesting question. Um, to be honest, I'm in this space because I think it's a really interesting space to be in. And I think it's also one of the places that has the most opportunity for improvement and has the largest impact um, opportunity. So most people don't understand or don't know that buildings account for approximately 40% of our overall carbon emissions. Uh, this is worldwide. And so there's a major opportunity to drive down our carbon emissions and our overall impact on our um, earth by focusing on buildings. And so that to me is really important. There's a big opportunity there. Second, uh, the way that we design and build buildings and the way we operate them hasn't changed a lot in the last 100 years. If you get into a car today or you try to communicate with another person um, and you use an iPhone or a Tesla, your experience is so different than it was a, dec a decade ago, much less a century ago. But if you're going to build a new building and operate and maintain it, it's going to look almost exactly the same as it did a decade ago and almost the same as 100 years ago. So there's just a lot of opportunity to do a better job in the built environment, which means there's a lot of opportunity for companies like ours to be successful and, and companies like Jelly. Um, and then third, I just think it's a really interesting place to be. Um, I went to school for chemical engineering and, you know, honestly, I think buildings are just a little bit more fun than big old industrial processes and factories um, to work in. And so um, it's my passion. Um, and so I think that's also important when you're looking at building a company. 
Um, and ultimately, I think we're finding, you know, that this industry is just fine. It's just at the very beginning of coalescing around um, this transition from a a building that is, you know, largely run off of operational systems. And so you've got, you know, machines that do work and that's all they do is one function to a connected ecosystem of um, services that these machines are providing and the value in connecting them all in a way that um, is holistic, well thought through, and dare I say smart, um, is the, the opportunity to drive a lot of advancements in not only our energy consumption, but more importantly, the overall value that that building can provide um, to its tenants, to its occupants, and uh, to its owners, and ultimately to society at large. And so we're really excited about it. The industry is just barely starting to take off and see a technology boom. It's been one of the slowest um, because the people in the industry are slow to move. They're, they're not the early adopters in the overall economy. So um, I'm excited to ride the wave. And I think there's a lot of other companies that are seeing there's um, a lot of opportunity here as well. Mm. We've uh, we've had a, a series we've done recently on the uh, impact of uh, COVID, and uh, as we're recording this, we're sitting for a lot of people. You know, uh, week eight. Um, and in fact, the U.S. is just starting to uh, open up a little bit in terms of some of the cities and uh, localities. Um, the philosophy we've had is that uh, uh, COVID may be an accelerator of a lot of digital technologies and thus, you know, where we make a lot of our investments. But obviously, there will be, you know, some that are uh, affected positively and some negatively. What's your predictions, both for um, clean tech, but very specifically for the smart building space? Uh, you know, what, what impact do you see the current uh, pandemic having on, you know, kind of the new normal? Uh, so we can share a little bit of data-driven response to this because uh, we have customers every day that are designing, estimating, and building out projects on Retrolux. And um, we can tell you that the industry is already starting to bounce back. Uh, we had our lowest usage now three weeks ago on the software, and so and it's been going up you know, fairly consistently every week since. So I think that's good news that people are getting back out and working in buildings and you know working on buildings again. If we look more long term at like trends, um, things that are going to happen for sure is that more buildings are going to start to use digital solutions to manage their tenants, to manage their buildings, to manage their occupancy. Um, there's all sorts of innovations that I'm sure we haven't even thought of yet that are going to come out of COVID. We've been tracking a lot of them. Um, at Retrolux, uh, in particular, uh, some of the ones that we're seeing emerge are things like space utilization tracking. So imagine an app that can help you manage your shifts of your employees to try to keep people from um, all being at work at the same time or um, tell people when it's their turn to use the elevator so we don't have too many people in the elevators or um, do heat maps that show that too many people have been congregating in certain areas so you can put signs up telling them they need to not be so close, all the way down to using location services and indoor positioning to specifically um, ping somebody's phone when they're getting too close to somebody else. So there's a lot of innovations happening, and I think people are seeing a lot of these um, technologies that had, you know, dare I say, uh, 
um, light value props when there wasn't a problem start to have very crystallized value props now that we've had a challenge in our ecosystem. So I see uh, a very real trend toward the digitization of the building operation systems, uh, the building usage systems, uh, the tenant experience systems. Uh, what I think is unclear at this point is whether or not we're going to see um, an increase in uh, things like uh, co-working spaces versus long-term lease for office space, whether we're going to see just an overall drop in the amount of people that go into the office because they can now work from home. I think it's too early to tell whether those big trends will happen, but the digitization of the building um, is absolutely getting an accelerant right now, and we can see that already, both in innovation as well as adoption. Yeah, excellent. I appreciate your uh, quantitative uh, answer on that as well. Uh, we are a, a HubSpot user. HubSpot, for those of you who don't know, is CRM and uh, marketing automation. A lot of small to medium companies utilize it. But what's interesting is recently they sent out a an aggregate view of deals created on their platform across all the companies that use it, anonymized, of course, uh, and, uh, and showed just to your point that the uh, low point was roughly a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, and uh, and ultimately that they've shown a steady rise, which is what we're seeing in our business and what we're hearing across all of our portfolio companies as well. So, you know, uh, the V recovery, as, uh, as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned a lot about Retrolux, and um, I didn't really give you a chance to, to introduce and really pitch it. So, you know, what problem were you trying to solve and, and really why with, uh, with Retrolux? Yeah, so the problem we're trying to solve with Retrolux um, really, again, stems from my experience in the clean tech industry. And it all comes down to the fact that it it takes way too long and it costs way too much money to transition existing buildings to new technologies. And so I'll give you an example. LED lighting, I think everybody now knows what that is. I was selling it before the cool kids were back in uh, the 2000s. And the first LED lighting technology sold in buildings was early 2000s. Most people don't know this. They probably think it's a pretty relatively recent thing. By the time we get to 90% penetration of LEDs in commercial buildings, it's going to be 2030. And so we're talking a 30-year transition cycle. In that same period of time, the iPhone was released and we're on version 12 something like 95% of people have a smartphone now in developed countries. And I think that just shows how slow buildings are to adopt new technology. And the reality is that's a combination of a lot of things. It's a combination of uh, technology commercialization speeds, but more importantly, the companies and the entities that are out there selling, designing, installing these systems are just really slow to adapt. And a big part of that is they use pencil and paper and Excel spreadsheets. A big part of it is that they don't have the access to metrics on how um, well these systems perform. It's a very fragmented industry. The supply chain is very fragmented. So there's a lot of these challenges that ultimately result in something that's a no-brainer like an LED lighting install, which has a zero to three year payback period for building owners taking 30 years to reach full adoption. I think that's unacceptable. I think that we can use a digital transformation of the supply chain um, to make these workers more productive, give them the tools to design, sell, and install faster. Do that in a way that reduces their costs so that more projects get approved because the paybacks are better. And ultimately, 
crystallize that value prop of that, that new technology, reduce the risk of it, so building owners can say yes more often. And we think if we do those things and we use the tools of marketing and productivity and AI machine learning and these other technology tools that have already been commercialized, uh, we can build a system that mimics how fast we scale other technologies out into the hands of consumers and businesses. And ultimately, that's what we're working on at Retrolux. Um, coming down into you know, the day-to-day -day work, uh, we build sales, design, cost estimating, uh, installation management software for contractors, distributors, and manufacturers in the um, smart energy space, specifically lighting um, today. Um, but that's the big problem we're solving. That's why it is a problem. You know, I think if a really cool technology comes out of a national lab or a university or an entrepreneur, that it should have a way of reaching market adoption and market saturation in 10 years, not 30, not 50 years, like you see with um, mechanical systems, uh, HVAC systems in particular. So um, we're building that operating system, putting it in the hands of the practitioners, supercharging their productivity, dropping their costs so that they can be more effective in their own uh, businesses, which ultimately means we can get these technologies um, into markets and saturated at a much faster scale um, than it currently works in the industry. That's a unique uh, value proposition, and I can understand how you won hands down in the uh, Schneider Electric's 4D challenge uh, last year. And I like the fact now I understand better the operating system to scale clean energy, and you're hitting a relatively underserved segment when you're talking about the the, the contractors um, and the, that full supply chain that uh, helps to really bring together these clean tech installations and smart buildings. What, um, what has been your biggest challenge um, in setting up and scaling the company itself? Um, you know, I think there's always lots of challenges in a, a business, especially when you're trying to get the company up and running. Um, I think one of the bigger challenges we faced uh, was the market readiness for technology. Um, I thought I was late to the game when I started Retrolux in 2016, and I think, in fact, we were still a year or two early. Um, 2016, and this is a stat that it blew my mind when I found it out, 2016 was the first year that over 50% of blue-collar workers had a smartphone. And so our value prop is you can do your job from the palm of your hand. And I still remember going out to early customers in 2016 and 2017 and telling them what we were going to do and having them pull out a flip phone, open it, look like it had fallen off of a ladder 20 million times and having somebody tell me they don't know how to text their wife. And I'm like, hmm, maybe we're a little early, you know, for this industry. Uh, you know, while this is happening, the fax machine is whizzing in the background. And, you know, this is only four years ago. And so uh, I think that was one challenge that we underestimated was, you know, just how fast um, the industry would be ready for this digital transformation. The good news is um, we're in the sweet spot now. People are definitely um, realizing this is something they have to do. The second is related to this, um, and it's one that we have now taken on as a challenge as a company we want to solve, and that is that the standard practitioners in the building space and uh, they are people that are used to working on buildings um, from the perspective of it being what's called an operational technology. So it's, it's something that you plug in, you get power to it, it does work, it does something, and when it breaks, you replace it. 
And that type of thinking it doesn't align well with a digital transformation where that piece of equipment now is also an IT um, piece of equipment. You know, it's connected to the internet, it has um, an IP address, and the industry that we're in knows nothing about that. And so there's a big technology gap that we have to cross with the equipment and solutions and systems that are being installed and put into buildings to support the smart spaces uh, that everybody's really excited about. And so that's the next technology gap that we have to help our customers get over. And here at Retrolux, uh, we're hitting you know that challenge head on. As I like to tell people, our industry has a bunch of people that are the same as the guy down the street in your neighborhood that works on 1957 Chevys, you know, and he can work on a 1957 Chevy. He can also, you know, fix a weed eater and anything that has an engine in it, he's good to go. But you walk and drive a Tesla into his uh, shop and he has no ability to work on it, none. And so Tesla has to build tools and do training for the kind of new uh, mechanic. And here at Retrolux, we're building those same tools and we're helping the guy who knows to work on the 1957 Chevy, we're giving them the tools and the, the training they need to know how to service and sell a Tesla. And that is something that I think is really critical that a, a lot of smart spaces companies don't realize. Um, and it's causing, I think, a, a little bit of a stunt in the overall adoption curve um, for these technologies. Digitally augmented service professionals. It's uh, an interesting space. And actually, we see a lot of interesting software focused on helping service professionals, whether they're uh, maintenance or, or operations uh, personnel. And and especially because, at least in a lot of larger industries, uh, you have a, a net outflow of talent and knowledge, uh, institutional knowledge going out with them. And so the more you can capture in a in a platform, per se, and uh, and assist the next generation coming in, the, the, you know, the, the stronger your service capabilities will be. So it um, makes a lot of sense in terms of where you guys are focused. And I think that makes you relatively unique from from what we've seen as well. Um, I guess generally, um, what advice would you offer to aspiring entrepreneurs given your own experience? You know, I think what I always, I, I always recommend the same thing to entrepreneurs and it's really simple. Um, you need to be uh, crazy to start and you need to be too stupid to quit. And so what that really means in the long form is that every big idea, every entrepreneurial endeavor um, is going to be riskier than something else you could be doing. And so for the most people, you have to get comfortable that you're making a somewhat irrational choice, which means you're a little crazy um, to start. And you've got to go forward and just do that. You have to pull the trigger, believe in yourself, and take that crazy step to get going because it's it's scary. Um, and it's been scary every time I've done it. <laughs> it doesn't get any less scary because you're going into an abyss that you don't under, don't know what the final outcome will be. Um, and then the second part of that's, I think, actually more critical. Uh, lots of people can start a business, start working on an idea, but they quit before they get through the trough of disillusionment, as you mentioned earlier. And so not quitting, having the grit to keep moving 
and do so when all signs are telling you you probably should stop. Requires you to um, have a certain element in your psyche that just says, I will not fail. And I don't care if the odds are against me. I don't care if the current situation feels like it's impossible. I'm not going to quit. And I think that requires you to be kind of stupid to some degree because you're making irrational decisions again, because the rational decision in many cases in my businesses would be to stop and um, wrap it up, call it a day, go back to getting a real job, you know, getting a real quote job. And so I think that's really important for entrepreneurs to wrap their head around is that you have to make irrational decisions um, to be successful. And that's okay. Um, it's actually part of the job. And after a while, you get comfortable living in a world of incredibly high risk. Um, and you do it because you're passionate about something. So this is like the final thing I'll mention is you have to be willing to accept that that's the world you're going to go into. And the only way I think that you can make those irrational decisions is because you have so much passion about what problem you're trying to solve. And so if you don't have just unrelenting passion around the problem you're trying to solve, then you will never make those irrational decisions along the way that are ultimately required for the company to succeed. So um, that's my, my uh, you know, I think broad advice for entrepreneurs. Um, I can go into some, you know, more operational blocking advice, but um, if they can't, if you can't get through that part, then all the blocking and tackling will be for naught. Yeah, I, th I think your last point is very well taken in in the sense that uh, it, you have to be held um, or, or mark yourself to a higher ideal. If you don't have that, it's really difficult because you, you know it, just to simply make a buck at a startup, you know, is is difficult in and of itself. Given you know the uh, the, the, the say the the chances of being successful and all of that, but being held that higher ideal really helps get you through some of those low patches. And it's clear you're held to the higher ideal of uh, of, of clean or smart energy and uh, and and you've been there done that that's why we I would refer to you as a practitioner versus somebody who's just creating a company who doesn't have the deep knowledge of the industry that's why it's always important for us practitioner plus entrepreneur um, you know as as you look around at other companies um, Obviously, we're investors, so we're always like, you know, what startups are the ones that you would say are the ones to watch beyond, of course, Retrolux? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate that um, question. It's um, it's a tough one. So I'm going to kind of limit it first to I'll call like the energy space generally or the smart spaces. And um, the first company I recommend taking a look at is actually a hardware company, even though they do have a hard a software play and they're called Jewelcase. Uh, they are a expandable modular battery company uh, that can build batteries all the way from, you know, something that you could take with you on a camping trip all the way up to the size of a trailer that you could use to power a music festival. Um, so they're really solving this portable power replace generators um, problem that's been really challenging. So I think that one's really interesting. Um, on the software side, um, I'm going to give a shout out to my friends at Incentivind. Uh, they're building a database of all of the incentives for buildings and project development um, all across the country. So if you want to know uh, where uh, you can get a federal tax break for um, doing a brownfield development, you can find that. If you want to find out a utility rebate um, in Wichita, Kansas, you know they've got that data at hand, and it's just super critical 
for um, helping these projects accelerate because you don't have to go look that information up by calling the local jurisdiction and trying to find that information. So super, super critical. Um, the final company I'll mention is a company called Catalyze. Um, they're yeah, building a software system and they're really more of a, I guess, a technology integrator um, that uses big data to identify locations to put in microgrids. And then they work with the local utility uh, to optimize that microgrid based on the location being, say, at the end of a power line where you need a little bit more juice um, so or they need to condition the power line. So um, big data play all the way down to, you know, putting the systems in and operating them. So really, an, really interesting company as well. Uh, lots of them out there. Um, lots of them out there, and you know, ranging all the way from hardware to really, you know, kind of, you know, what I would consider more pure play um, digital solutions. Okay. Well, three great recommendations: Jewel Case, Incentivized, and uh, Catalyze. Um, so, final question we always like to ask: You know, are there books and/or resources that inspire you that you'd like to share with our listening audience? Um, yeah, sure, and. You know, these days, um, as an entrepreneur, I find that I read a lot more bite-size um, resources, and I also have a lot of um, time where I can listen to podcasts. And so, in the energy space, there's two podcasts in particular that I recommend. One is called The Interchange, and it's a very, I'd say, more wonky podcast, so you probably want to be a little bit deeper into, you know, kind of the smart energy revolution. Um, and then the second is called The Energy Gang, and this is more of a news and, um, you know, commentary on what's going on in the smart energy world. Uh, both of those can be found on your, you know, all of your common podcast platforms. Um, but definitely recommend those for podcasts um, and I think are the, the two best resources I see coming out right now for um, people really paying attention in the, the energy space. Uh, another new one that just came out is a uh, blog called Nexus um, that you can find on LinkedIn. The uh, blog author is James Dice. He's from the National Renewable Energy Lab, and he's really diving in on this digitization of the building control systems. So how to manage and control and maintain our buildings. He's super deep into that world. So another really good resource with um, a lot of commentary with people that are reading it um, included. Excellent. Well, Leif, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to uh, share your insights uh, with the uh, with the listening audience. This has been uh, Leif Elgathon, who is uh, CEO of Retrolux and uh, a clean tech entrepreneur and practitioner. Leif, thank you so much. No problem, Ken. Happy to be on the call today. All right. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.